oftentimes we focus on trying to create an effect. We're trying to create an effect. And we focus, we bring our attention to the effects instead of staying in the causative factors, in the causative space. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I had dinner the other night with an acupuncture friend here in St. Louis in our version of Little Italy. It's called The Hill. Seriously, if you're visiting our little gem of the Midwest, going to the Hill for Italian food, you don't want to miss that. I noticed a lovely circle of something creamy white and shimmery around her neck, which turned out to be mother of pearl. And when I inquired, she said, it's the moon. And then told me about a favorite book from her childhood, Many Moons. Children's stories, as you likely already know, are perhaps some of the most condensed form of wisdom us humans have come up with. James Thurber wrote the book in 1943. 1943. The world was at war, smack dab in the middle of it. It's heartening to know that even when the world is falling apart, there are also people sharing creative brilliance. There are people who rise up with what they have to offer given their skills perspective and creative spark. This is the story of a princess who falls ill and tells her father, the king, that she'll get better if she has the moon. The king, being king after all, consults his many advisors who can all reel off a list of what they've accomplished for him along with the reasons why they can't get him the moon. It's too big, it's too far away, it's made of some troublesome material. All of the so-called wise and capable men have good reasons for why this is an impossible task. Despondent, the king calls for the court jester to play some music to soothe his sadness, and the jester, being no fool, inquires about the king's troubles. And the king recounts the situation with the princess, that without the moon she cannot get better, and that all of his wise advisors have told him it's impossible, given the moon's size and its distance. The jester says, well, you know, they're all wise men, and so they must be right. But I wonder what the princess has to say. So the jester goes to inquire of the young princess about the moon, and the princess pointing out the window, says, it's about the size of my thumb, and look, it's right over there, caught in that tree. So the jester goes and has a circular pendant made just about the size of the princess's thumb. Now, there is, of course, more to the story, but I'm not going to spoil that for you. What I will say as I deal with this every day, and I suspect that you do as well, be it our patients, children, spouse, or neighbor, we fail to find out what's the meaning that they make of things and run merrily along on what we think about the situation. We have skilled and studied egos, which are useful in the world and have a long list of accomplishment, but often not up to the task of understanding what's to be done in an emergent moment that does not fit onto the list of accomplishments. What kind of sense do our patients make of their situation? What's their story? And what does it mean to them? This sounds simple, but as with so many things in life that appear simple, it's not so easy. (music) 
These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period 
on your new Jane account. All of us bring a lot of knowledge to our clinical work, and that certainly has its place. And I don't know about you, but when I look at my own experience in clinic, I see that what I know is not helpful if the person I'm trying to help doesn't feel listened to or connected with. Sometimes when people get better, even if the very thing that was the main complaint disappears, there are times that patients fail to notice that they're different. And it's especially curious when that item at the very top of the list has dramatically changed for the better. I remember a patient from student clinic days who had diabetic neuropathy. We often put needles in his feet, and because he couldn't feel them, he never complained until his feet got better. And then instead of thanking us, admonished us for a lack of skill in inserting needles and causing him discomfort. Never mind that he was well enough now that he had feeling in his feet. The mind and the stories we tell ourselves opens or closes possibilities. And this is one of the reasons that I like to see if I can listen to what the body says without words. In this conversation with Steven Schleifer, we explore the key role of palpation and use of attention in the clinical encounter. A lot of people talk about the importance of intention. But that is a bit like putting the court advisors in charge of solving the problem of getting the moon for the princess. But attention, ah, now we're on the fool's journey. We are going to get into all of this in just a moment. As you already know, the map is not the terrain, but navigating without a map? Well, listen into this conversation with Stephen. Here we go. Steven Schleifer, welcome to Geological. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Delighted that you're here. Actually, you're here again. What our listeners don't know, but I'm about to tell them, is we previously had a conversation, and unfortunately, there were some technical issues. That recording was not usable. And I was thinking, as I was getting ready to sit down with you today, you know, we have patients who come in. And sometimes there's a treatment that really, it just rocked their world. It changed something dramatically. And they come back in and they say something like, that last treatment you did, that was great. Do it again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you've taken that bait. I know that I have at times. I try to do it again. It's never the same. Absolutely. You just have to go with what you got. Yeah, I've heard that one before. And my common thing is like, well, what did I do last time? <laughs> I mean, it's really getting that understanding that encountering a person in the present moment is the key thing when treating. Right? It's not the protocol. It's not the magic point combination or, or so. It's really, can you make a contact at that very moment. And of course, sometimes we get it right. And trying to replicate the past is obviously futile. Yes. I once had a, a teacher ask this question. They said, do you know what is the biggest impediment to any experience of oneness in God? <laughs> and the answer being, your last experience of oneness in God. 
Exactly. <laughs> it's so true in our clinic. And yeah, I really resonate with that, that if we can meet people in the present moment, as this moment is, and somewhat free of a great experience. So often, I think as acupuncturists, I know for me, I'm worried about getting it wrong and it didn't go that well, and now I hope I get it right. But a bigger problem might be something really profound happened. And now there's this expectation that it's always supposed to be like <laughs> this, or like you're just saying, what did I do? And in some, I think most of the time, it's not the points that I did. It might simply be the way that I was with somebody or the way I was with a point for that matter. Yes. I mean, I think that's the skill. You know, I've, I've been contemplating this over this last week. What are the key traits or what makes in the past you hear about these acupuncturists, these Chinese medicine physicians that had these miraculous results and what really is at the core of those skills? Is it really the special protocol or is it their own cultivation, their presence, their connection to the moment? And what do we need for that? And so I've been contemplating this and at the core of that, where I come back to, what's our contact, our relationship at that very present moment with the patient, with their body, with how you connect to them, right? And I think in that contact, in that touch, in that connection, we relate to them. We have a relationship with them. And, and what is that communication that we relate to them or with them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key piece. It's not what we do, it's who we are. Absolutely. And at the same time, meeting them where they are. Mm -hmm. Now, there's something I found out about you in the last conversation that we had that I didn't know, which is you're blind. And so when I hear you talk about touch and contact, to me, you're not speaking metaphorically here. Absolutely not. You're speaking in a very embodied way. Us sighted folk, it's easy to take that as a metaphor, but not for you. No, I mean, that is the way we have to relate to people as the whole thing about acupuncture and body work. They're not separate modalities. They're just a spectrum of making contact with somebody's body, hence body work. And so, well, let me step back. The way one of my teachers would translate the term chi, right, is that it's an informational pattern. It informs. And so, how do we inform? How do we get information from a patient, from a person we work with, as well as imparting information? Because, I mean, that's what we do with our needles. We impart information to their body, to their body being. And that's what we need to communicate with our hands. That's the touch. When we use a needle, that's just the same thing. It's just an extension of that. But it's really key that we have to work with our hands. And quite frankly, I mean, if you just stick needles in or having first this touch, clearing the body, working with the body, making connection, getting that communication with them, that is a wholly different treatment then for you as well as the patient. 
it's way more intimate for one. Absolutely. And I love working with my mind, but I also love working with my hands. And I always have. I grew up in a family that suggested don't work with your hand. Well, it was more than suggested. It was sort of an admonishment. Don't work with your hands, work with your head. Um, but I've always loved working with my hands. But because of the way that I grew up, working with my hands, I wasn't supposed to like that. I wasn't supposed to do that. They certainly do. And that's the thing. Like, you know, I always think about theory, Chinese medical theory. And, you know, they can get quite detailed, quite complex. And it reminds me again of these, I practice Qigong. And Gong, the way one of my teachers explains it is as this skill, this quality. It's not skill that I'm a master of as a thing. It's essentially you become this quality, right? And so theory in my mind is it should inform how I practice. So it's not that the theory is the practice. It is really a framework, a scaffolding. Then when I work with someone, when I touch somebody, that then I have a framework that I can work with. But it's not the same thing, right? The real thing versus the map. We really need to get back into that informing us, not that I have to think like, okay, what am I touching here? And basically imprint a theoretical, whether it's anatomy or, and of course that helps, that informs you, but I don't want to think when I touch a leg, okay, is this the tibialis anterior or am I touching the stomach line or like have a mental, you know, you can always, after making contact with somebody, touching somebody, palpating something, you can obviously then like, okay, what did I feel here? But in the moment, I just want to hone my attention into what is there and let the previous trickling down of my theory of my, that has whatever qualities I have built into my mind-body experience, let that come to fruition in that very moment of contact. So I don't have to think. I just touch, right? I just receive information as well, of course, impart information. So there's two words that you've just used that really have my attention. You're talking about receiving information, and, and I get that. I, I've done enough study and, and, and enough like time in the boat of practice that, that there's something about allowing ourselves to be receptive so that something from the patient can be communicated to us. But the other thing that you just said was imprint, that when you put your hands on people, if I heard this correctly, you don't want to imprint something there. Well, this is a tricky one, right? So there's two aspects. First of all, we have to recognize when somebody comes to us, they do seek help. So in one sense, right, we are assisting, we are supporting, we are kind of triggering change, right? Hopefully. <laughs> yes, yes. But the challenge that I have with that is oftentimes we put our imprint on it. We put my, what I intend. And this is the thing that we want to step away from, I think, is this intention. I you know, it's, it's so commonly used these days. 
I think we have to step away. And the way I see the medicine is essentially we have to provide a space for them, the patient, to unfold their patterning, right? They're stuck in a pattern. And we have to create a space for them so that they can unfold appropriately, right? And in doing that, my theoretical concert, my ideas, because they're coming through my perspective, oftentimes not very helpful, right? So I think it would be much, much more helpful if we just create a space and the mechanisms behind that, we can talk about that, but create a space where their system and we are in a vitalistic medicine where we still have the idea that the body knows if we give it the right support, the right space, will unfold and come back to a place of wholeness. And we just need to support that. And that's only done if we can create a space, right? If I go in there with the intention of I'm going to fix this or I'm going to change it, I, meaning me, right? then I get into this tricky territory of maybe managing something, right? I can kind of get the symptoms okay, manage them for a few days or so, but we don't get those deeper shifts because we don't allow their body, their system, their being to unfold appropriately. So yes, there's a lot to unpack here, and and I'm glad that you bring this up, and we're going to take a dive into this. I want to start with this thing about intention because, like you just said, I hear this all the time. Well, our medicine's about intention. And then we'll often go to that Chinese character for E, the spirit of the spleen, and which means meaning or intention. And there it is. And so we have to use our intention. It's somehow important. Honestly, there are some things over the years that I've heard, and I've never really understood, but I think that I should understand it. And intention is one of those. It's like intention, like, well, what is that really? And when I hear you talk about wanting to help your patient, maybe you're managing their issues, we have our own solutions. I can tell you from trying to give advice to people that the solutions that come to mind for me rarely get used by my patient because it's a solution for me. It's not a solution for them. And so, you know, health advice or, you know, any of that kind of thing, I've been incredibly unsuccessful with it. Unless, unless it's something that the patient says, well, maybe I could X, Y, Z, or or, I have an idea that this feels good. Maybe I should do that. And I just look at him and go, hmm, not a bad idea. You could experiment with that and just leave it at that. Yes, this thing about getting ourselves out of the way and yet at the same time present in this space-holding way. So, I'm a little babbling on here. You're speaking to something that is a question that I take into clinic all the time of what is my role here? How much of me do I need to bring in? And what portions do I need to leave out? Because they get in the way. And so I'd love to hear more about creating the space that allows the intrinsic understanding that a person has of themselves that you know, whatever their jing is that's looking for expression in this life, to give that some room. I'd love to hear more about that. Yes. So intention, you know, if you just simplify, like I like some wordplay on occasion, intention in 
tension. There's tension yeah. there. There's a striving, right? <laughs> yes. And that striving, that's essentially the issue, right? We acquire patterns. We acquire a perspective of life as we go through life, right? And it's my perspective. And it's not necessarily the correct perspective. It is just mine. And so whenever I look at something or whenever I make contact with somebody, right, it's obviously through my perspective, through my lens, through my acquired patterns. And those are not necessarily helpful for my patient. Right? And so whenever I have intention, it inevitably has to go through that filter. It has to go through my perspective, my filter. I think they should do this. I think we should lower... I don't know, live a young rising or whatever, the pattern, I think there should be something. I'm intending something, right? And then obviously the treatment that I make contact with is essentially there's an intention there, right? Attention is just a place of lending essentially our consciousness to a space, our awareness to a space, to a landscape, to a movement, and that's what we should be opening up to, right? I think it's in the Suwin in the Yellow Emperor's Classic. Uh, I think it's chapter 25, where they talk about the skills of the doctor. And they mention, you know, you need to know life nourishing arts and acupuncture and herbs and diagnosis and so on. But the first thing that they mention is essentially spirit man Shen management, right? Consciousness management. Those are the skills that you have to learn right? And why? That's the thing. That's, I think, the core of this medicine. How much can we lend our attention, our consciousness into that space that we're trying to affect, right? That they need affecting. And the quieter our attention is, right? Not like, oh, am I doing this? Am I doing that? I'm paying attention to this part of the body and now to that part of the body. But just having the ability to Bring your attention into the space of whatever, the leg, the body, the space of the room. And how stably can I do that? Meaning, you know, stable is essentially, right? The water waves have still to a place that it's just stable. It is comes to a place of quietude. And we just need to be able to get our mind to that space, right? The theory and our knowledge, that will inform that space, right? But when we have our interaction with our patients, that's the place where we just need to be able to be still and stable, present. And that's, I think, is the key piece. And I think that's like when you hear the mythical doctor, the 80-year-old, 90-year-old doctor that treats a person with one needle and miraculous things happen, all these changes happen. It's really all about they have had a lifetime of cultivating this skill. And it is a skill. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. 
but this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Okay, so I've got a question. I'm listening to this and kind of taking it in. And it's a lovely day here in St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm fortunate to be able to look out my windows into the landscape of my yard with the trees and they're leafed out and it's there's a nice breeze and sky has these puffy clouds. It's pretty idyllic. It's you know, you're talking about landscapes and I'm looking at mine. You know, I'm listening to your words about stillness and I'm listening to your words about contacting a landscape and I'm just noticing mine. I want to bring that into the conversation because this is a piece of it. And so often in our work, we are looking to do something. I'm going to find the right points. I'm going to needle them in the correct way. I'm going to do all the right things. However, as I listen to you, it's not about doing the right things. It's about being in that space, contacting that landscape. Letting the landscape tell you, oh, attend to this. Oh, I look over here and I go, you know what? I see some uh, plants out that could use their leaves cut back a little bit because they've already gone through their season. They could use a little cutting back. I can see over in a place where, oh, yeah, I should go rake that part of the yard. That would make it look nicer. Thinking about how, oh, if I could bring that kind of attention to a treatment where I'm just looking and sensing and seeing, it's like, oh, this over here needs attention or this over there needs attention. There are things that we do. I am wondering how important the doing is, Stephen, and how important the noticing what is there. And wondering if we can notice and appreciate with our patients and what's arising, do we even need to use needles? Yeah, that's a good question. The way I think of it, I come back always to my Qigong practice. There's two aspects to these practices, and I directly translate it to treatments. You know, in Qigong, we obviously have movements. You know, of course, there's postures and sitting practice and so on, but let's just talk about movement practice. So there's movements that we do. We move our arms this way or that way. And that's one aspect to it, right? And, and, and that obviously informs movement in the body at large, right? What's happening underneath the skin layer, so to speak, underneath in the landscape. It creates movements within the landscape. But on the other hand, we also have this other aspect in Qigong practice. We have our consciousness, our awareness and consciousness. And that needs to be stable. So the idea, for instance, in Qigong, you know, if you want to bring qi to your hand, right, there's oftentimes a thing of like, oh, I need to put my intention, my mind, 
maybe in the hand or down my arm into the hand, like, and I, I kind of hook the chi and, you know, guide it down to my hand. And in my opinion, that is not the correct way of approaching these practices, right? The correct way is that the movements will guide the chi to the correct places, whatever. That's why we have different movements for guiding the chi movement into different parts. And then secondarily, what makes it so why qigong is different from regular exercise, gentle arm waving exercise, is that we have to stabilize our mind in, we've got special places in the body, but let's say the whole body at large is actually one of the key places where we just spread our mind through the entire body, right? And we don't do anything with the mind as such, with our awareness, with our consciousness. We just stably soak it through the body, through the landscape. And the arm movements will create the movement, the chi movement, the correct patterning that you intend with what the movement intends it to be, right? And again, here, I know I'm using the word intention, right? So when we translate that over to working with, with body work in Chinese medicine, right? Of course, we do something with the hand. That's how we make contact. And that's how movements arise within them triggered by our movements right so we have that i recognize that but on the other hand we have our awareness right the other aspect of qi because qi is essentially right the connection again qi or chinese language context matters how you use the word in what context and in this context it's that interaction between our consciousness and the landscape and so Contact with the landscape, that's through our treatment. That's through our techniques, our hands, right? Our needles. And what makes it happen, where the magic happens, is our attention in the landscape of their body. And the combination of those two is where that's where we enter the landscape of chi movement. Well, Again, we're talking about experiences here that are very difficult to wrap into words. I mean, that's why we have poetry and art and music and you know things like that, because it, it helps us to understand. I listen to what you're saying, and there's something very evocative about stillness and being able to shift into this, I like the word landscape. I often use the word terrain as well. Those are just words that I happen to like. For me, it's a shift in awareness. It's a slight shift in perception. And it's less emitting and more receptive. Like being okay with receptive. You know, we live in a very active Western world. The idea of being quiet and still and receptive, that goes against a lot of our cultural messaging. And yet, we all have these moments. We might be out in nature. We might have heard a beautiful piece of music. There's something somebody said, and it, it touches us in a way we can like, feel our body and being like ripple into a slightly different world, a slightly different sense of what we're living in. And so, again, words are a little tricky here. And I'm leaning on my clinical experience here because every now and then I feel like I have slipped into a slightly different state of consciousness or a slightly different space. It includes me, my patient, the room, 
the interaction between all of us, but there's this like me part that's not there in the same way. Yeah. And I hear you talking about Qigong practice. It sounds like that is a core aspect of what helps you work in the way that you do. Do I have that right? Absolutely. I mean, I think in my mind, I'm first a Qigong practitioner and secondarily Chinese medicine practitioner because I think at the core of what makes this medicine really great is developing those skills. And I, I personally have found Qigong to be the vehicle. I mean, it comes from that same culture. It lends itself to this vehicle that facilitates the development of these skills. Because the idea, when I work with my own body, right, I stand in the posture or so, right, it's the idea of my consciousness, my awareness, soaking, right? And they oftentimes talk about it like a mind fluid, the mind soaking through the tissues, the tissue being a sponge, the landscape being the sponge where you soak your mind through, right? And that interaction between our consciousness, our mind, and the landscape, that's what she is, essentially, right? And the more we can practice that within our own body, within our own landscape, not only do I get familiar with my landscape, it directly translates over to how I can interact, how I make contact with my patient's landscape. And obviously, this is not a, it's a continuous evolving practice, right? It's a continuously growing skill. And again, I'm talking about this gong and qigong, that gong, that developing these qualities so that I don't it just becomes a part of you versus you putting on this mantle of something, you making a method happen. It just becomes, it just is, right? And I think that's extremely helpful, it, extremely helpful. That's what I think is the difference between becoming just a method-based versus meaning methods. You know, I have my protocols it truly transforms your practice into something much, much deeper. And as you do that, right, and you talked about shifting that consciousness kind of subtly shifts into something, a different space or a different quality of it, right? And that is the key piece, right? We're not talking about you know, coming back to attention. It really comes back to the skill of attention. And attention is, is a very, very tricky beast because there's so many underlying intentions that we have built in that we need to let go of. And of course, that's a spectrum that we, you know, slowly progress through. On the one hand, if you think of attention as a spectrum, you have on the one hand, this laser focus, this really intense, I'm going to focus on my fingertips or something like that. And you can do it yourself right now. If you really intensely focus on your finger, you can literally the more you practice it, the more obvious it becomes. Your tissues become actually quite tight. And that's a quite a literal response. This is not like, oh, metaphorically, if you put your intention very intensely into something, it tightens up. It becomes more into intention, right? It goes into tension. So you have that laser focus on the one end, 
on the other end of the spectrum, you have daydreaming, right? And both of those actually have a lot of intention in there, right? If you are very focused in your body, you've got this intense focus, there's intention there, right? I'm not just paying attention because I'm intending to be in my fingertip or in whatever landscape I'm putting my attention to. And there's lots of forcing, lots of happening, right? I'm efforting. On the other side, you've got the daydreaming, right? Then you are losing the contact with the landscape, right? You're actually, you know, in terms of like, let's say, body work and so on, you're losing contact with the landscape, right? And if you are, let's say, meditating, right, then you're supposed to be bringing awareness to your lower abdomen, your dantian or something like that, and you go off daydreaming, right? Where are you? You're not obviously in the body, you're, you're in your thought realm, And so, but there's also intention because those thoughts that pop bubble through your mind are not necessarily random things. We think they're random, but there are these thought streams, these, the one thing to the next thing to the next thing that happens. There's intention there as well. And so where we have to bring our attention to get into that deeper space is right in between on the edge of making contact with our mind into a space, into a landscape, but not losing it, not stepping over into the daydreaming side of things. And it's extremely difficult to keep your attention there. And it's a trained skill. It's, it has to be practiced, in my opinion. If you can stay in that space, then the landscape and the movements, the spontaneous movements within a, a person's landscape can unfold. So we don't try to create movements with our mind. We just create the right space where that can unfold. I listen to you say that, and it just sounds delicious. It really is. I mean, when you hit it, when you get it, first it's like, I got it. And as soon as you, oh, I got that moment, then it's you lost it. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about physical experiences that I've had. Um, skiing, where if you're struggling against the gravity and the fall line, there's a lot of efforting and you wear yourself out and there's a lot of tension in the body. But if you can put yourself into the fall line, ease yourself into it, let yourself go into it, and you hook the turns together just right, it's effortless, it's floating. And there's a tremendous amount of ease. I'm thinking about, I love sailing. I like sailing small racing boats, which are very tippy and quick and responsive. And it's the same thing. If you effort yourself, it doesn't go so good, especially on a windy day. But on a windy day, when you've got everything dialed in, including you and the boat, which are not so separate, it will teach you something. The the wind and the water together will teach you something about presence in the moment. And you know when it's there, and you know when it's not there. And then, of course, that trick is, okay, I'm not there now. I know I'm not there now. Recalibrate. What do I need to do? And again, you can think your way through it, but mostly with these kind of practices, you have to feel your way through it. Absolutely. I mean, that's the key feedback Mm -hmm. mechanism. I mean, if you listen to people who have had like in the zone experiences peak experiences right they've done tremendous amount of work before usually right a lot of preparation 
a lot of training of some sorts, right? A lot of gong. There's a lot of gong in there. <laughs> but when they have that experience, they're just easing back. They stop efforting. They relax. They're dialing back that focus, right? And that's where that experience really happens, where suddenly, I mean, it might, it's very hard to describe it, but it almost broadens everything. And there's just that the observer and the observe, the, the thing that I'm bringing my attention to and the aspect that has attention, that consciousness part, they start relaxing enough that they just meld together. Mm-hmm. And I don't create movements. I don't create changes. That's when spontaneously the changes occur within those tissues, within the body, right? It's not me doing something to them. It's just I have a space there, and they will unfold spontaneously. The uh, doing, not doing. Right. How do you do not doing? (laughs) It's a little bit of a paradox. I mean, we do with paradoxes all the time in our work. You can go all the way back to yin and yang. Do you see the contradictions? Do you see the differences? Or do you see the unity? And as you were talking earlier about our attention, we can make it laser-focused. We can make it very wide. You can also disconnect and daydream, but that's a different thing. But the use of attention, the word aperture is coming to mind, that we have this way of dialing it open, dialing it more narrow, and makes me wonder now, so like, who's doing the dialing? It's like, who's running the show here? So often in our work, and and we talked about this earlier, I just want to come back to it again, partly because it's something I've been trying to wrap my own head around for years now, which is how much of my practice is being in presence and attending to this landscape, in a sense, and how much of it is doing. Like you said, people are coming to see us. They got something, they don't want it, or maybe they don't have something and they do want it. So often, we think our job is to do, and then the question comes up, well, what am I supposed to do? And we've got all of our wonderful theories. But again, there's something about, I think, contacting that larger landscape. I think it will tell us what to do if we're quiet and attentive enough. Certainly. And I think when we come back to the larger context of Chinese medicine, you mentioned yin-yang theory, right? It's not yin or yang. It's a spectrum that we're trying to describe, and we're just describing the opposite ends of it. So it's a wholeness. And then there's the question of how the particular, the one thing relates to the whole. You know, when I have conversation about with people who don't know me and, and like, oh, what do you do? And you're acupuncturist and so on. Well, what do you treat? And always the question comes like, I don't have a specialty. I don't specialize in anything. Because that's essentially, in my mind, the antithesis of a Chinese medicine practitioner, right? We treat the whole. That's our job. We treat the whole, and that includes everything, right? And so how do particulars relate to the whole? That relationship is the thing. How does that one needle, that one spot in their leg relate to the whole body? And that question we have to bridge is through 
being able to be present in the landscape. That's how we connect the particular to the whole. And so in my mind, yes, absolutely. I think 90% of our practice should be honing those skills and 10, 20% are technical skills as in what need, uh, what point should I use or what method, technique should I use, et cetera, et cetera, those things. But the more important thing is really getting those larger skills down. And quite frankly, they will help you in, in the rest of your life too. Getting a broader focus, so much more important than focusing on the details. Ask yourself, like, how many little details, like, bug you, right? Is it necessary? Can you just relax your awareness into the whole and let and rather focus on the broader landscape of our lives, right? And see how we, we function through that. And of course, as I said, the particulars do have an impact on the whole. But let's not forget the whole, the big picture. The fuzzy, you know, and I always oftentimes talk about it as a we have to get our vision a little bit more, our perspective a little bit more fuzzy. We need to be get comfortable with that in order to accomplish that. I really appreciate this phrase. How do the particulars relate to the whole? That's a lovely inquiry. I feel like that's something I can take with me. Taken along like a roadmap in a sense. Is it a roadmap? It's just more an inquiry. It's a worthwhile inquiry to take along. Because I think we could be at any particular point in any landscape or process or argument with our wife for that matter and asking the question of how does this particular relate to the whole? Mm, that seems to me to be a very helpful way that I can bring my attention back if it has wandered or to broaden it if it's been too narrow. Absolutely. That's the crux of a lot of conflicts because we are too honed in to that detail and just what is it instead of the relationship between it and the whole, right? I mean, that's what life is, is relationship, in my opinion, right? How do we relate to the outside world, outer, you know, in Chinese medicine, right? The outside causation factors of illness and the internal factors, right? How do we relate to the outside? How do we relate to the inside? And those are how those particulars affect the whole. And oftentimes we get so lost in this thing or that thing in those particulars and like, wait a minute, can we encourage somebody? And that's essentially the space. And again, it's not with intention, right? That is with attention, with that's creating that space. How can we connect that back into the whole? In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. 
These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. As we're having this conversation, I'm having certain patients come to mind that just kind of float up. And, and the question that I have going through my mind is, oh, in what way is this particular thing that a person's coming in with, the thing they're suffering from, that's the particular, how does it relate to the whole? How does it relate to their whole? Are they seeing the relationship or have they cut out certain parts of what that landscape is for whatever reason. There's plenty of reasons to cut something out of your own internal landscape and to help people connect back up with that, I think would be a tremendous resource right? in helping them heal. Yes. We have those patients who come in and like, you know, I've got XYZ issue. How long will it take me to fix it? What can I expect? Like, I have these very focus on this thing, this particular issue. And oftentimes, the way I communicate with them is essentially start, well, let's take care of the rest of the body. Let's put this on the shelf for now, this issue, right? I know it's very important to you, but let's focus on the whole. Let's get the whole system better or different, engage it a little bit differently. And then let's see what happens. Right, allow that space that something can change. Allow allow that spontaneity to come in. But let's just focus on the whole. Let's focus on how's your sleep, how's the rest of your life. Right. Let's work on those things, and shifting them away from the that particular back into more of that whole life. Right. And then, oftentimes, it's so funny because I have that. This is not an uncommon experience where I do this, we have these kind of conversations, we guide them in that direction. And then they come in for three, four times or whatever. And then I'm like, oh, how's that issue? And oftentimes they go like, they have this moment, this pause, and they're like, oh yeah, it is better. Mm-hmm. Right? It's almost like the, the memory of this issue that they came with initially almost gets erased out of their memory that they really have a hard time recalling it. It does get erased. Yes. I think it does get, this used to drive me crazy when I first started practicing because people would come in with whatever their issue was. And I was taught to interview in a very sort of open-ended way. And so I wouldn't say, how's your back pain? I'd say, how are you doing this week? How have things been? And sometimes they'd say something like, well, you know, about the same, maybe a little better, blah, blah, blah. And that would either mean that nothing changed and they're being polite or everything changed and they forgot that they had the problem and it would drive me crazy. It's like, what about that back pain? They're like, oh yeah, right. No, I don't have back pain. It would make me nuts. It was the thing that brought them in and they had no memory. And over time I came to realize, oh, this is what healing is. 
It's just gone. It's not in their landscape. It's not in their experience. It's very hard to pay attention to something that is not present. And thank goodness, because now they can just get on with their life. And that's the experience of wholeness. That's the experience of wholeness. That's them connecting. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm going to use that. The next time someone says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm better. I forgot all about it. It's like, mm, that's the experience of wholeness right there. Mm. Yeah, it gets tricky. We're taught that we're doing something, and especially doctors are supposed to do something and get credit for what they've done. But our work gives the credit to the person who's doing the healing, not us. Absolutely. Any words of advice on getting ourselves out of the dang way? Because there's a certain part of us that has ego, and the ego does want to feel like it's being helpful and useful and worthwhile in this world. But it also can get in the way. So what do we do about that part of us that wants to feel like we're competent and capable and helpful and virtuous and useful to the world and other people? That's a good question. So, you know, I think about um, these concepts that, you know, and again, I come back to my Qigong practice because that's my home base, right? We've got these two skills of ting and song, right? Ting is a Chinese word for, for listening. Mm -hmm. Song, letting go, right? There's in the, in the song character, there's this part of the character is a pine tree yeah, and it's this unfurling of those, it's like the trussed up Christmas tree and you cut off that netting. And so now the branches can just unfold and open up. Yes. Right. Yes. And just relax and settle back out. And so we have this kind of a thing, right? Ting listening, right? We're not looking, we're not striving. We just like listening, right? We just receive the information comes to our ears, right? And I'm, Obviously, not talking about literal hearing only. I guess you could use it, but it's the receiving of information in that kind of a way, right? We have to allow the ability to listen, right, into the terrain, into with your patient, with whatever's happening, right, as a whole. And we talked about that with attention, right? Mm -hmm. And then we also have to create that space of relaxing somewhat so things can let go and letting go is not a it's a spontaneous natural process it's not something i can force you cannot will it you cannot will it you can't go i am pushing away xyz issue it doesn't work that way that's like taking your attention to your fingertips exactly like you were talking earlier and they tense up not helpful when taking the pulse. If you concentrate too much on what are my fingertips feeling, you won't feel much. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That is really a key piece, right? You have to soften, soften, soften the awareness. You have to soften it. And that is really a key piece, right? When receiving information and also when things happen in them and when things spontaneously happen in their body, you have to provide that space of letting it go, let things go, or provide that landscape, that space, so things can unfold, can let go, can just hang. Mm. And that is a really key piece that we have to have. What will that take, right? 
Well, it takes that we are very present in that very relaxed way, as little intention as possible, right? We can't carry in our notions of the patients. We can't carry in the particulars of our life at whatever stresses we have. We have to let that go and just be. Sounds so simple. But yet so <laughs> challenging, so challenging. And that's why I always come back to all the people that I work with, students that I work with. I always remind them, you got to have a practice, a daily practice. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, it's almost that not only does it progress your skill, but it's also like, well, where am I today? Right? And if you don't have the daily reminder of being present, I think it's very hard to step into the treatment room with knowing where you are. And I have days where, you know, I am out of it. And I will step out and say, like, hey, maybe can I reschedule you? You know, if I know I have a rough day, something like my attention is not quite there, I will reschedule people. Mm. If I know it's this, this is a challenging case, I will reschedule them for another time. I have to be honest and say, I cannot provide the best opportunity for them today, this very moment. And having that... Again, recognizing where the particulars relate to the whole, mm -hmm. that's the key piece. That's really helpful. You know, it reminds me a bit of meditation. Meditation is simple, not easy. And conflating simple and easy is, that'll just take you down a wrong track. Yeah. It is meditation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the cultivating of our attention. Exactly. And so the other thing that I wanted to mention in this conversation about Ting and Sung, it's essentially also cause and effect, right? Oftentimes, we focus on trying to create an effect. Mm. We're trying to create an effect. And we focus, we bring our attention to the effects mm -hmm. instead of staying in the causative factors, in the causative space. And if we can stay there, and kind of almost ignore the effects, right? Then we also head in the right direction. Wow. Staying in the causative space. Tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, I hear you say it. Something in me says, that's right. But I don't know if I really understand it. We all do this, right? In life in general, right? We see what other people have, what we want. I wish I could be this. I wish I could have that. I wish I see the effects are like, oh, that person gained this accolade or whatever, right? We see the effects and we forget what the causative factors are that got other people there and in our own life, right? Mm -hmm. What are the causative factors that get us there? It is that the first journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, with the first step. Yes, it does. That's the causative, that first step and taking the next step and taking the next step. That gets us there. We can't wish ourselves to the end of the thousand mile journey. We can't get there with intentionalizing it. We just have to be present 
be there with that next step. And that's what we have to come back to, right? Is not trying to change the high blood pressure, get rid of the pain. What is the next step? Those are the effects getting rid of those things. What's right here in the body? What's the next step in the body? What's the cause of the factors right now that cause the space in the terrain and the landscape that gets us moving? And we have to focus on that. That is really a key piece because otherwise, I mean, I know when I started out, you have those people with like various different complaints. Oh, I've got this issue. I've got that issue. And we're like, okay, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know exactly what to do. And like, okay, I can treat this thing. And then that's when we become conventional doctors, conventional medicine, right? We look at this treatment. We have a medicine or thing for that issue. We've got XYZ protocols for, for those various things. But there's certain causative factors that relate to those, the particulars relate to the whole. And can I just find those, focus back on those and relax into that space? And then we can, then everything can unlock. We often use this metaphor in Chinese medicine about that we're cultivating a garden which means we're working with the soil and we're working with the water and we're attending to what's growing and we're put things in a place where they would like to grow. This likes the shade. This likes the sun. You know, we take the weeds out as the weeds come in. So yeah, here we are attending to, you know, it's like you want flowers. I want summertime flowers on my kitchen table. So I attend to the soil in the spring and people want something in their life. And so yeah, let's attend to the conditions that will bring that. Years ago, I had a patient who, very staunch in her faith. In fact, when she first came, she said, well, you know, I'm a this kind of person, and, but I'm here anyway because maybe you can help me. You know, she wasn't even sure if it was okay with her religion. You know, and fair enough. And one of the things that was going on for her, lots of emotional overwhelm. And she said, what I really need is more patience but I know better than to pray for patience because I know what God will give me. God will give me the circumstances to develop my patience, and I just don't have the time for that right now. <laughs> oh, man, did I get a lesson that day or what? So here we are. It, this woman had a very keen understanding of uh, conditions to be able to say something like that. Yeah. It's, it's so easily forgotten. Mm -hmm. What is it that allows something to emerge? Comes back to where is our attention? <laughs> well, like you say, the cultivation of our attention is a daily practice maybe even a moment-to-moment -moment practice, you know, and one of the benefits of doing the work that we do because we're called to attend in, in those ways that, that we've just been discussing here in this past hour. I know that the Qigong is the core that you use for this kind of cultivation. Mm -hmm. There's lots of kinds of Qigong, and there's so many different approaches. People that are listening, is there a particular Qigong that you think is helpful, or is it more that someone picks up a practice and attends to it? 
Oh. Well, this is what I have to say. I mean, what is important with Qigong practice is not the specifics of the particular practices. In my opinion, it's the journey that you evolve through with your practice with Qigong, right? So, and there's a systematic cause and effect chains that you embark upon. Like, if you start your Qigong practice today, six months from now, a year from now, you should be practicing probably something differently within your body, within your body-mind complex in, your, in that space. You should be probably practicing something else as you evolve, as things change, right? As you embark on that journey. So I don't recommend particular systems. Oh, this system is great. This form is really good. This is the thing to do or this practice is... That's where my teacher is really good at. And that's what he focuses on is that journey as you progress through changing things in your body, in your mind. What particular exercises will and methods will support your process in that very moment, right? And sometimes that's for a couple of months, maybe a little bit longer or, or longer, right? But you working on certain skills and they will evolve and certain, the particular exercises should support that process. So it's not about I am becoming the master of the set or that methodology or so. Um, of course, you should have a line that I don't necessarily like the word lineage because there's so many meanings and people put a lot of meanings in that, which I don't necessarily have. But there needs to be this continuous understanding of how we progress, right? That's the important part. And then understanding what methods, what exercises, what practices facilitate that process. And that is the key piece, in my opinion. Um, I would say, though, just in general, it's important that you practices that have a lot of visualization, I would be very cautious of because that is a very strong intentional process practice. So I would be very careful about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But again, things that uh, practices that support the journey as you go along, that's the key piece. So that Chinese phrase, Wu Wei, comes to mind, that doing without efforting comes to mind. Yes. I would want to amend that mm. because there is actually, usually the phrase is Wei Wu Wei. Ah. <laughs> doing, not doing. Wei Wu Wei. Si, 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 si. Okay, yeah. So there is a cause and effect, way causative factors. Can we attend to those? The Wu Wei emerges out of that space. Mm -hmm. So we can't Wu Wei. We can just Wei and then relax. Mm -hmm. And if we get lucky, we go into Wu Wei. It's a little bit like trout fishing. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit yeah. you can have the best equipment you can have all the best stuff sometimes you get it you know mm -hmm. it's just right yep. can't make it happen you can put yourself in the conditions and circumstances something might arise yep yeah
Well, that's probably a pretty good place to put a pin in it for today, at least. I thank you so much for this time together. I do feel soaked in a kind of sensing from having this conversation. And I appreciate that. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I think your listeners should take this to heart, this how much attention in that landscape. It will really transform practice your treatments when we can just hone into that, relax into that, get comfortable with that. And of course, it's a uncertain area at times. But if we can just relax into that space, we don't need to always know and do. It will truly transform treatments. Yes. Again, it's hard to put words around the kind of thing that we've been talking about. It, it's really kind of an invitation. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank you. I think one of the most interesting and engaging things about practicing acupuncture has to do with what we discover in the process of working with our patients. What our patients discover about themselves, what we think we know, and then find out that there's more. We could reduce it down to mechanics, bones, nerves, and tissues, but there's also the shen in the blood, the hun of the liver, the will of the kidneys, and the way that consciousness is unwrapped with physiology. And then there's the part of us as practitioners that knows and the part that discovers. These are very, very different ways of working. Roughly paraphrasing something that one of my teachers likes to say, if you're bored with acupuncture, you're not doing something right. It is an endlessly interesting inquiry. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.